Good afternoon. This is Hap May with Legal Play. Hi, Hap, and I'm Chelsea Elazi. Um, we are having a special Valentine's Day uh, episode where, you know, when Valentine's Day rolls around, you want to think of, you know, your special loved one who's who's near and dear to your heart. But no, Hap, I'm not talking about your wife. We do love it. We do, we do love it. As much as you may love your spouse or your significant other, um, the loved ones we're talking about today are our pets. And specifically, um, taking care of them and, and doing uh, what they might need after you pass. Um, so today's topic is we're talking about pet trusts. Um, today, we have a special guest, um, Sierra Guardia from Guardia Equine. She is, well, Sierra, what do you do? Well, uh, I am a veterinarian. I own my own sports medicine practice. So I work on only horses. And I see everything from horses that are uh, loved pets that live in their owner's backyard to competition horses that compete all over the country and some that get imported and exported to and from Europe. So um, I kind of work on everything, but only horses. And so I've had a lot of uh, situations where those horses do become more of a family member than your own family members sometimes because people love their horses. They lo love them as much as their dogs and sometimes more than their own children. So um, they're definitely a good topic for Valentine's Day. Well, and, and pet trust specifically, because we've been wanting to do this topic for a while. And Hap and I, when we were talking about it, when I mentioned pet trust to some of my friends and family, um, what a lot of people think about is, you know, that that lucky little chihuahua dog who's, who's you know, mom died and left the doggy millions of dollars and it's running around with like rhinestone, you know, diamond collars. Um, but when Hat mentioned that we he had a, a friend who's a veterinarian and had, who would be good as a guest speaker, he said, okay, well, she's a horse veterinarian. And I thought, oh, of course, horses are large, expensive. They they take a lot of space and care. So um, as, as Hap said, you know, dogs, while yes, you want your 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 lovely, you know, dog to be treated well and, and eat eat delicious food and, and live a comfortable life. Um, it's it's easy to just say, you know, dear, dear grandniece, would you like my cute little poodle? And, you know, promise to treat yeah, it well. And that, that's, there are concerns with other animals. The program is going to have the, 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 you know, horse as an example. But some of the same principles apply to other pets. Right. And I have a particular thing at the that uh, she is you know, trying to make plans for. And I mean, this, this today's topic is about pet trust in general, but as an example, specifically, we'll be kind of focusing on horses and uh, some some real life examples of what may happen if you have a trust for your animal and if you don't. Um, so to kind of lead into our subject today, um, we've got Sierra here. So I, I do want to ask, how long have you been working with horses and doing what you do? Well, I've owned and ridden horses since I was 11. So I've been around them, die the little horse girl. So they have always been a big part of my family, a part of what makes me happy more than just a hobby, just family members. And then I went to vet school and graduated in 2013. Um, and so I've been a veterinarian for coming up on 11 years. And I've owned my own practice since 2016. I started it from scratch. Um, just me and my truck going around. And, and now I have a very successful sports medicine focused equine only practice. Now going through vet school, though, I had to work on 
birds and guinea pigs and dogs and cats and all the things in between. And so I do have a lot of experience from that perspective as well. And so um, from a horse standpoint, there are similar, just to Hap's point earlier, there are similar needs for all animals, but then there's very specific needs. Life expectancy, for, for example, some birds live well, like can live up to 100 years. Yes, yes. So it, 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 now horses don't live that long, thankfully, but they do live much longer than the average dog. So there's definitely varying needs. Um, but horses have always been my passion. They, and that sounds very cheesy to say, but I love I know there's, there's, there's a lot of people I know that, that have, have horses. Um, so you, before we were on recording, you were telling me a little bit, you have some experience with clients who have set up trusts for their horses and some who haven't and what happened thereby. So can you tell us about a client who did think ahead and set up the trust for her horse? Uh, what did she do and how did that work? Yeah, absolutely. So there was a lady that had been a horsewoman her entire life. She was probably in her late 80s when she did pass away, but she had had a, a few different bouts of cancer. And so she had already kind of anticipated making plans. She was very smart about um, anticipating the needs of her specific horse who actually had quite a few concurrent illnesses. So he was managed very well, but she knew that when she was no longer there, he would not only need financial support, but also need to be put in the care of the right person who understood the horse, understood his specific needs, and then would also make decisions based on what she would also want. So she also knew this individual, of course, beforehand and made sure that that relationship was already established, that that uh, trainer was actually what was in charge of the decisions, and then her daughter was in charge of the trust. Um, and how can I explain all those definitions because that's not my department, but um, the, the two of them took on this horse's care afterwards. And um, the horse actually did quite well, but the, and he's still alive and she's been gone for uh, well over three or four years now, I'm not actually sure, but um, the horse is doing very well in the situation that he is in. So she chose well, she planned appropriately, and she made sure that that trust was well-funded. Um, Were you involved when she was creating the trust at not all? Not to create the trust, no. I was involved with his later care before she had passed away, um, and she let me know that he had a trust set up. And I thought, well, that's wonderful. But in my situation, I didn't feel like it was something I really wanted to ask more questions about because we knew that this lady was um, very near to death, but she was... I wouldn't say in denial about it, but she was very positive of, I'm gonna use every day that I have to think about good, happy things and not bad. And so I didn't really go into questions. Yeah. Yeah. But have you cared for the horse since she's passed? Yes, I have. And, and assuming well. that the, any money she may have left for the care of the horse, that's how you're getting paid. Yes, so the way that that, would, that has worked is um, I invoiced her daughter who is is it the trustee? What is her? Probably, probably is the trustee. So she, because she is in charge of his payment. So she, she gave me a specific credit card that okay. is um, linked to that. And so whenever there's an invoice, I send her the invoice. She approves it, and then I uh, run that credit card. And the trainer who was designated as part of the, the caretaker, one of the caretakers, okay. is always present at the time of the appointment. And if she can't be present at the time, I'm in communication with her live during the appointment, either texting, calling, FaceTiming, something like that. So there's always, um, I wouldn't, I do that with that pretty much every patient. So it's nothing out of the ordinary for what I would do in any other situation, just to make sure there's clear communication and everybody's aware of what's going on. 
but in that scenario, that's basically how I get paid for my services. Okay. And then you were saying that you, you know of another client who passed and a trust was not left for her horse yes. kids. Yeah, it was in it, most of most of them are horse girls. So okay. there are men that own horses, but in the English world, which is what I work on the majority of the time, those are usually ladies. Um, but there are some men. Uh, men usually are more into the Western world, rodeo, that kind of a thing, which is not my population of horses. Okay. But in general, yes, this is another a lady. And if not her, there's, there's been numerous other clients that I've had. I would say that's the majority of the situation is people don't think about this going forward or they put up, they put some money aside, but it's nowhere near enough to cover the needs mm -hmm. of the horse. Okay. Um, and that, in that scenario, the, the one I can remember very vividly was a client who did not put up any kind of um, aftercare eat, trust, definitely not a trust, but not even a written document that said, this is what I'd like to happen to this horse. And she had more than one horse. And so when she passed away, the children uh, of like her children were having to sell her property where the horses lived. So they didn't know, they, they weren't sure where the horses were going to go. They actually didn't care too much about what happened to the horses. And so in that scenario, they, a couple of them had some chronic diseases. We knew that the care of these horses was going to suffer. Um, and in Texas, especially, there are kill pens is what we call them. So it's where they go to auction. And if they don't get sold at auction, they get shipped to Mexico and become, they go into a food chain. So, and that's, that's a whole other topic, but um, in, we knew that that's probably where these horses were going to end up. And it's, it's actually called the unwanted horse population. So the unwanted horse is a very common term since about 2003 when we no longer had slaughter in in the U.S. or in Texas and now everything has to ship so in general that's the fate that they face and so the it, given the age of the horses and the and any conditions and, yeah, they make the that they mm -hmm. had in that particular case that I can think of those horses were put to sleep okay so and if you have to think about what's the worst case scenario versus that that's actually a kinder way most people believe that's a kinder outcome than living in a pasture where nobody's taking care of them and they waste away. Right. Right. And, and you were talking about, you know, thinking about your horse and, and um, its current situation, what its uses are and what future you would want to have happen for it. And you can always set that up within the terms of your trust. Yeah. You were talking about some kind of retirement pasture. Mm -hmm. How does that work? Yeah. So it depends if you, let's say you're, the horse is 10 years old when its owner passes away. It's still got just like the birds. They have a long runway ahead of them before they would naturally die in a lot of scenarios unless something cataclysmic happened. And so in that case, you often, if they're living here in Houston, they're living in a boarding facility that's usually quite expensive, anywhere mm -hmm. from $1,000 to $2,000 a month. There's not a lot of land no, there's here no in land. Houston. For exactly. So it's a very urban area. So if they're going to be somewhere in and around the Houston area, they're usually in a boarding facility, which means they live in a stall part of the day. They're turned out in a pasture part of the day. Someone has to bring them in and out. There's people that feed and all of fairly intensive care. When the owner has passed away, if that horse is retired, let's say, and is no one's riding it anymore, that's an option as well as to send the horse to a retirement facility. But that's something that the owner or the owner's family needs to research beforehand in order to determine where to send them. Because again, a lot of them don't exist here mm -hmm. in near Houston or even there's ones in Texas, but they're very far away. Um, so out of state is usually the best option. Yeah. And there's also donations. So some people will donate their horse or try to donate their horses to 
therapeutic writing facilities. So okay. that's one that I didn't mention beforehand, but there's a, a there's a lot of facilities here in the Houston area or surrounding Houston. One particular that I work with is called Sire, and they have um, right they have uh, you know disabled folks that come. Some of them are children, some of them are adults, and they will uh, take lessons periodically, and it's part of therapy for those horses or for the humans. Right, the horses love it too, but. Um, there's different levels of what the, those facilities need, whether it be a horse that's still able to be ridden and, you know, actually do lots of things with really capable riders versus horses that need to be safe, incredibly safe to stand on the ground while someone in a wheelchair brushes their legs or something like that. So now there's lots of options. I mean, this being pet trust, if the horse, if, you, if you're just wanting to set up a trust for funds to care for the horse, that's one thing. Um you know, Sierra's mentioning donating a horse. I'm assuming that would be like saying, okay, the horse is my property and after I pass, I'm going to donate it. To that's the that's the that, that, that is the horse. Or any kind of buy is, is uh, something that is property and can be donated. That would be something. Donate, donate. So, I suppose there's a whole class we've kind of talked about about old horses need to retire. I mean, there, there are horses that are actually so productive. Show horses, yes. raise horses, some other horses that actually generate some money for which there needs to be a management team yep. determined, you know, Absolutely. where they're going to show, where they're going to race, and all, all, all of that uh, is, is business. Right. Know, the, the so if I'm, and, and I'm assuming if you're going to, if you want to donate the horse, um, you have to at least believe that it's going to be in a condition to be able to do so when you pass. Well, in that scenario, you know, it depends on what the scenario is with the owner and their life expectancy, but if a trust is built and you want to donate it to a specific therapeutic riding facility or whatnot, you need to discuss and have that communication with them beforehand because some of those facilities, they're very limited in their space. They can't take every horse, um, just like retirement facilities can't take every horse. And they also have specific needs of what they need. So some of them really need a horse that is sound enough, so healthy and physically capable enough to carry a rider at walk, truck, canter. And some of them only need some horse that's going to be, can be, yeah, just pet. be petted incredibly safe and so it can, can have a wheelchair all around it and they don't have to worry. So right. it, it's definitely, but you need to discuss beforehand because they, they don't take every horse. Okay. And, and there is, there is provisions made that I actually heard about racehorse. So oh, I didn't know. To a breeding facility. Oh, okay. And, and uh, I donated the horse and some money. Yes, yes, yes. They, they would like that, yes. Now, that obviously, that wasn't a trust, but, or was it? That was, that was not a trust. Technically, it was just a, do, a monetary and horse donation together. But in, in this case, it, it, be it a trust or or just provisions in a will, um, we're basically saying, yes, you know, if you have human family that you want to take care of, obviously consider them. If you want to. <laughs> but, but if you have large animals or animals with special needs, um, or just some exotic sure, animal. Make sure it's properly taken care of by the by the right in the process. Exactly. Let, me, let me kind of jump in and talk about, about wills and trusts and what the difference is with that uh, process. You cannot leave money to an animal. You cannot give money to an animal. Uh, you have to you know give it to somebody who is going to take care of it. Which is where we come in with the concept of a trust. A trust is where you put money or property in the hands of a fiduciary. Usually that's called a trustee. 
and that trustee is then responsible for carrying out the terms of the trust, which in our case would be care, maintenance, management um, of the, the, the horse or other pet that you have in the process. And you can get as specific as you like. I want to take it to this, you know, doctor if possible. And yeah, get as specific or as, as general as general as you want to. So, and it depends upon the animal. That right. Specific reason to get specific, and I and and I, I generally like to see, you know, who they like to have that be, and who they really want the trustee to be, and then you know what animal organizations they would like to be involved. Right. In. I don't want to get too specific. Right. Not having to wear a red rival or, <laughs> yeah. or a yellow saddle or right. maybe, you know, beyond beyond the the process. But but know what's happening. There are two kinds of there are two two kinds of trusts. One is a testamentary trust, which really doesn't exist until the person dies and the terms are included in the will and it is formed as a method. And that, that happens in, for, for most cases. In most cases, However, it doesn't take effect until the die. There, there could be a point in which somebody who is now, when they're signing papers, trust agreements, will perfectly you know, capable of making decisions, but becomes incapacitated. For a period, long period of time before they die, in which case, if that person is the one who is taking care of or you know responsible for determining what happens to the animal in the process, that may that function may drop out, and there is no will or trust yet to you know fund and give instructions to what happens to the to to, to the horse, the dog, uh, the cat, the bird, uh, whatever it was. So it, it's not a bad idea to have a we call inter vivos trust, trust created during the grant uh, lifetime, in which case there are some funds set aside uh, to kind of bridge that gap as to, you know, between, between the time that the uh, grantor becomes incapacitated and the time they actually die. And in that case, it would be a smoother transition too because the grantor, the one setting up the trust, the probably the owner of the animal could be the trustee and then just if they once they pass or are yeah, becoming incapacitated, there's a process by which you pick another trustee, a successor trustee, a concerned you know family member. Uh, it could be an organization, and as I said before, it's going to be an organization or have an organization decide to point somebody. They usually have to get somebody to the organization to get them involved in the process. Uh, but that 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 could be that that could be another thing to consider is the. In, in a testamentary trust or, or a trust that doesn't take effect until the grantor dies, you can have a life insurance policy where, where the proceeds from the life insurance like goes to fund a trust that in whole or in part is designed to keep take care of the animal. Okay. Well, the, other, the, other, the other thing you uh, consider with regard to this is we figure we try to figure out what it's going to be. Then we try to get more than that in the process. Mm -hmm. Which means there's likely to be money left over, and some of the cautionary tales about you know, what what to do with that that excess money is, you know, usually if you uh, leave money in trust and put your you know nephew because he doesn't have another job, uh, you know, and you feel sorry for him in charge of the animal, and if there's money left over after the animal, you know. Dies, the, the, the nephew gets the uh, the rest of the funds, 
is a dangerous area because the life expectancy of that uh, animal may diminish greatly based on the financial needs of it. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, some other things we've seen where way too much money is uh, put into trust, and of course, can actually come down and make that reasonable. I think we own Helms. I mean, you know, some you know ridiculous amount, ten million dollars, you know, care for dog. Oh, yeah, oh, or something, something twenty five thousand, whatever, whatever. So there may be legal limitations. Yeah, there may be there may be maybe legal limitations. Yeah, I can't basically have you give my entire you know billion dollar estate you know for the care and maintenance of my dog, and I give my children nothing. You know, <laughs> they, you know that that, that that's probably uh, not going to fly. Uh, some court may adjust that somewhat. Well, I haven't been involved in the actual setting up of a trust with a client yet. That's not something I've navigated. So how would that determining the the value that you would go into the trust. I assume that a I think, the veterinarian I think, you know, would have yeah, to weigh yeah, it. Yeah, I think I think that that's something you can certainly be helpful with that mm -hmm. with your experience, particularly with horses. Mm -hmm. uh, canaries, maybe not. Yeah, my department. You can kind of figure out what you know. You know, know something about the horse. Whether the horse has special needs, how old the horse is. Sure. What is life expectancy? Medications it's still on. Right, special right. shoeing. There's right. a lot of. What, 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 well, what, and what depending is, on where you want it worded, because if you were saying if you wanted it. Like maybe the, the, the caretakers that, that you're hoping are going to look after it are in a Houston or an urban area. And so you want the horse boarded nearby, which is potentially more expensive, yes. you know, usually yes. than shipping it, mm -hmm. you know, out of state to some big ranch where, yeah. it can, you know, right. be free with other horses. Absolutely. The point is trying to figure out how much and then who, you know, what, yeah. what, you know, uh, what, you know, who do you want to actually be the trustee to decision that? Who do you want the bed to be? Who do you want the training to be? Who do you want the boarding facility to be? Uh, and sort of, you know, what some some parameters as to uh, what, you know, sort of, you know, life ending care the, the animal may have. Mm, yeah. As to, uh, and, and you got to be careful with this because you don't want to be, you don't want to be, you know, dictate too much. But you know, as as Sierra said, there is there's a point in time when it is just with with animals that it's it's better to put them down mm -hmm. uh, than than keep them alive. And you know, owners you know have uh, different thoughts about when that should occur. Oh yeah, and, even uh, when they're alive. <laughs> yeah, yes. and, and so some kind of parameters as to uh, what what the the grantors wishes are criteria regard, yeah and i guess that probably you think about it particularly with the horse maybe some other apples the budgets you need maybe more than you would think often it is and the, yeah. as they get older it's usually higher okay. so it's not static in most situations some even if the horse as it gets older they have to switch to special senior type food so it's more easily digested or a different type of hay they can have a colic episode, which is where horses can't vomit. So if they have a stomach ache, they can't really relieve themselves. I did not know that. Yeah, very interesting. So they, and they can choke. That's That can kill them just like a human if they choke. But um, if they have a stomach upset for whatever reason, and they cannot relieve their pain with, they can't vomit. So they can't relieve their pain. They can get so painful that colic surgery, which is an exploratory laparotomy, so abdominal surgery, is where we would send them. But that's not always reasonable given how long has it been painful, other factors. 
And some people don't want to put their horse through that. If they're very old, getting up for general anesthesia is very mm -hmm. dangerous. Lots of horses can break their leg. It's, you know, they do everything they can not to let that happen, but it's still a risk. And so there's lots of factors that go into that decision-making process too. In that scenario, let's say a horse is so old and has lots of other issues going on, surgery is going to put them through more harm than good. That would be a decision or a time to make that decision to sleep. But yeah, there's, there's lots of things where if we deal with this all the time, where horses or pets in, in any kind, um, we keep them alive for us more than we keep them alive for them. And that's something that your veterinarian can help you navigate. I have to have that discussion with clients a lot where we know that their horse's time may be coming soon. I try to prepare them, make them think about what they would do should that scenario come up. And sometimes they are very clear about their wishes and they have it written down somewhere or even have a trust. And then sometimes they are making an emotional decision in the moment. And then when the owner has passed, let's say it's a daughter or somebody else, the family member that's now in charge of making those decisions, they may not have the expertise because they didn't, they're not a horse person and they right. don't know the horse very well. Right. And they are pressured because they know their dearly beloved who has just passed away would want to do everything. Or maybe they don't know what their wishes are. So they feel guilty about making decisions. So that's something that needs to be decided before. Right. And we have the tools to do that. We have directed physicians who are the humans. Mm -hmm. Who is it going to be making the decision? What sort of medical people, you know, are going to uh, provide information or right. help help make determinations? That. So maybe we have the tools to do that. It's it's you know something to consider. And we recently um, did have a client who um, we were we were setting up estate documents for him, including. Uh, what to do with his dogs and he's got show dogs mm -hmm. so specific breeds that you know they I, do, I don't think they were old enough anymore to be uh, participating and competing mm -hmm. um, but they you know have specific care needs and his problem was finding naming somebody um, to take care of them because he they didn't have many friends and family in the area didn't have a wide network of acquaintances um, he didn't have any children to to leave the yeah. dogs with mm -hmm. And what we ended up finding is that he asked the vet. And so what I would say, yeah, so that your, your, your veterinarian is probably a very good resource. If, if you, you know, don't know what options you have and are struggling to think of, you know, where would I leave my dog who would, or, or pet, who would I leave it with? Um, inquire with your veterinarian, because I think a lot of them have programs. Um, if they can't take the animal, they might know some some one right. or some organizations who can. Yeah, there are also small organizations. Mm -hmm. well, mm -hmm. Right. Like that. He reached Ad out. Adoption. Yeah. Also, you know, if it's if it's funded with some money, with the organization, and for adoption, you can make the whole process easier. Well, and I have had the scenario where the, the owner didn't pass away, but there were two horses that lived together and one of the horses passed away. And horses are herd animals. Dogs are pack animals, horses are herd animals. They wanna be in a group. And so this horse was left alone and had no buddy. Oh. And so he was losing his mind. And the owner was worried that the horse was going to cause himself harm from stressing so much and running around like a nutcase. And so she, the owner asked me, do I know of anybody that maybe has an availability for her horse to go live somewhere else in order to have companionship yeah exactly a buddy yeah 
pasture meet. So okay. um, I was able to coordinate between two clients that didn't know each other, but I knew them. So I was that that liaison mm -hmm. and said, I'm not going to make the decision, but you two can talk and yeah. decide if this is a good scenario for the two of you and your animals. And that ended up working out quite well. And then they got a mini donkey and everybody was happy. So, <laughs> um, But there's, there's that. Your vet can be a very good resource to either connect people, connect organizations, or say, you know what, I don't know, but let me look in and see if I can get some more information. Even prepping for this podcast, I contacted the AAP, which is the American Association of Equine Practitioners, and they have some really excellent resources for these types of topics. They actually gave me a couple of documents that the American Horse Council, uh, or sorry, American Horse Coalition have put together discussing kind of the topics that we're talking about today with trusts and wills. Yeah, they're, they're organization. Yeah, and you were telling us about the these resources you brought in. What can you share with us about those? Yeah, so um, the AAP, as I said, that is an organization that is it's a membership organization for veterinarians in the U.S. that work on horses. But they also have a lot of um, horse owner education resources. Everything from what vaccines does my horse need to how do I get an international health certificate to ship it to France for, to just simple how do I deworm my horse, make sure they're healthy, those kinds of things. And then that's where I found those resources. So they have two different documents that they had sent. This, there's actually another link to the page, but one of the documents is about estate planning for your horse. And it says, when you sit down with an attorney to make your will or trust, remember to include your horses. So this is one of the documents that I thought was quite helpful. And then another one that the United Horse Coalition uh, had put together is talking about estate planning for your horse and had some other definitions and some more um, considerations, things to consider, you know, if you have land, can I donate my horse? What about a retirement home? Those kinds of things. So some of those resources were very helpful even for me to pre prepare for this. But then also they have a lot of horse owner resources um, available at no cost that if you just search aap.org is the website, then you can just search as an owner and get lots of information. Yeah. And it's good to have, um, you know, your your ideas in mind um, if, if and when you're ready to, to plan plan your state, write out your will. Um, and that's what Cap and I are here for, that, that if... If you know that this uh, um, is relevant to you, you've got, you know, your your love, your beloved animal in your life or know someone who has one and, and you or they don't have a will or a trust set up and you think it might be a good idea, We're come see us. Mm -hmm. I'll be taking my horse to them. Because <laughs> I just realized we haven't set that up yet. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, Sierra, for being here with us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it was fun. I learned a lot. Yes, so did we. <laughs> All right. And uh, this has been The Legal Play with Pat May. Thank you.